Melbourne victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Here in Australia, we can only go viral for one thing, can't we? Coming a bit of a one-trick pony, the A-League and uh, Pushkas contenders. A scorpion kick from Ben Garuccio going around the world. Uh, a rare bright spot in a slightly dreary week for the game and for its broadcaster, uh, but we've got a young Australian overseas making serious inroads in Serie A. The first time we've had an Australian score in that competition since 2009. So, peaks and troughs, silver linings. Josh Parrish here with Jason Goldsmith. How are you, Jason? I'm great, Josh. It's been, it was, it was a, a pretty bleak start to the Australian football week. I think, what, 38 spectators to the uh, Wellington Phoenix game at Leichhardt. But then we close it off on Sunday with Volpato. We wake up to Volpato scoring for Roma. And then Ben Garuccio. How many times have you seen it? How many times have you seen the goal now? Do you think? Uh, probably played it on loop about 17 or 18. Yeah, I've, I've watched it plenty of times. And then, of course, everyone's sharing it on, on social media. And it's just it was just a little bit of an uplifting moment mm. for Australian football. It really was. I place it above the Riley McGree scorpion kick, despite it being from closer range. One, because of the, the beauty of the pass from Prijevic, the yes, outside yep. of the foot dink was absolutely intentional, and it, there was some forethought in it. I think McGree's was more of a reaction. The ball's behind me. How can I make contact with it? And it flies in, whereas Garuccio, there was really nothing else he could do in that situation. He pulled it off. He meant to do it. Like, McGree's is questionable whether or not he, he focused was, I'm going to put this in into the back of the net, but that's all Ben Garuccio was trying to do. The other thing that's really fantastic about his goal, I went through his career. So he hadn't scored in the A-League since 2018. Um, and his career, his senior football career, 76 games at, at Melbourne City in a couple of stints, one goal. Uh, 50 games for Adelaide United, one goal. Mm-hmm. 21 games for Hearts in Scotland, zero goals. Um, had he scored to- once in the cup. He did score once in the, with a free kick in the okay, cup, yeah, I think. Okay, all right. Okay, so we'll give you – that's three. Okay. Uh, then he scores with the left foot in the in the first half. So And, and there's commentaries like his first goal since 2018. <laughs> this is magnificent. And now everyone's going to remember this goal forever and ever and ever. <laughs> so just just fantastic. It really was. Yeah, it's, it's so good. And, you know – I'm wondering whether, you know, the rebrand of the A-Lease came a little bit too early, the new logo, because I'm looking at the Bundesliga logo and the sort of silhouette of the player and the NBA kind of... Yeah, yeah, we can have the Scorpion, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe the Scorpion silhouette is the is the A-League brand now. I, I think the Scorpion silhouette probably looked better from McGree's point of view. That actually because is he, true. Because he didn't fall on his, didn't fall on his face. <laughs> and and Garuccio post-match said, I tried it in training and I fell on my face. And he said I could do it a thousand times before and never pull it off. But he pulled it off, and he pulled it off in our A-League. So just just great. It was really, really was a joyous moment. Doing something spectacular and then falling on your face. Could there be a more apt metaphor for Australian <laughs> football? He, he said he got up and he started running too. So like, just magnificent. And, yeah, it was, yeah we've, it, you can't add any more superlatives to it, mm. I guess. More drama from this week with our good friend Jason Cummings. Uh basically bashing the broadcaster while he was speaking to them. Amazing. He, he was. Um, he probably has a point. I mean, he's all about rhythm and, and getting in. the. I, I guess 
when he when he spoke about the drinks breaks, there was a couple of VAR interruptions as well, which mm. added that extra time to it. So, um, if the host broadcaster is going to have designated drinks breaks so they can stick an advertisement into into the coverage, that's all all well and good. They probably should have told us that beforehand so we could expect it, or they could look at alternatives like you know. Um, putting the ad just in a little mini screen that could pop up inside it or something like that or wait for a VAR decision because the way our VAR is, go- VAR is going, it takes three to four minutes. It takes enough time for plenty of ads mm. they can put in there as well and they wouldn't miss a beat. But Cummings is definitely missing out on that rhythm of getting into the game and the feel of it when he has to stop and have a drink. Yeah, and I, I totally sympathise, honestly. I mean... You know, you talk to a guy like him, he's going to tell you what he thinks. Yeah. And um, yes. they should have seen that coming, in all honesty. Um, not, pardon the pun, but, yeah. you know, he's a guy who gives it to you straight. And that's why he's such a tantalizing prospect in the league, a tantalizing per- personality, not just because of what he does on the field, but what he, he, the perspective he brings off it. It's what you want to. And he's the kind of guy that is trying to get match fit and get mm. some rhythm going into his game. Like he's starting to put together extra minutes and, and looking quite damaging. So, yeah, I, look, no one's questioning his his um, his um interview. We, we love the forthrightness that, it, that he came about with. We just got to work out why they ta- – well, we know why they're taking drinks mm. breaks, but the, the the fact that we found out today that perhaps um, the broadcasters are telling the refs when they're coming, that might be – is uh, a little bit interesting too. Dominic Bossy here in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, speaking on – the. Uh, condition of anonymity to two A-League match officials, uh, one of them suggesting the call comes from Network 10 via the fourth official on the sideline, who then informs the on-field match referee of the need for a break through his ear earpiece. It's understood referees are unhappy at being told when to stop players. It disrupts the flow of the match and can make them the subject of hostility from players, coaches and fans. One referee described the practice as outrageous and suggested it was against the spirit of the laws of the game. Uh, drinks breaks usually reserved for extreme heat conditions and uh, not for sponsorship. Uh, so, honestly, if the, the refs hate it, the players hate it, the fans hate it. Money talks. You know, it does. If they had told us before the start of the season, we've got this brand new free-to-air deal. We're on, we're on Channel 10 and Paramount. Mm. We're on Channel 10. We're on Saturday night, so it's a little bit different. However, do you know, to counteract the fact that we're on free-to-air and we're going to get a, allegedly a little, a little bit more exposure... We're going to need to take 30 seconds to one minute during each half to throw to one of the sponsors on an ad break. If we manage manage expectations, you should be all about mm. managing expectations. If they told us it was coming, it wouldn't be such a, you know, such a thing, I guess. But, you know, Cummings clearly doesn't know that, it, that it's there because it's not, it's not widely – uh, I wouldn't, you know, you're they going to really play in Australia it. but you're going to be stopping after, after 25 minutes and just having a bit of a Gatorade, you know, so – yeah, I'm not sure. You got to you got to manage expectations. It, it makes it a little bit easier to to swallow. It's interesting uh, reading some coverage from the Athletic in the past week, which is Southampton, which play a notoriously high pressing system. Uh, well, suggesting that they might be feigning injuries between the 60 and 70th minutes to get a break to get the uh, the, the gels in and uh, look, yeah, pickle juice, whatever. Like the, the tactics will be there. There's always mm. going to be something that's going to happen. Should be saved. Look, like extreme weather and VAR. I think the broadcaster has plenty of time to sneak one of these things in if they need to. But you know, designated drinks mm. break or a designated commercial. Tell us if that's the case, or just or just stop it altogether. No one, no one's a fan of it. I do 
wonder whether people would be more receptive to this if it wasn't for the other issues they've had with the streaming service, with the broadcaster, with the lack of a live pause and rewind and fast forward, the lack of a watch from live option as we've been accustomed to on other services. You know, because during the break, drinks break, a uh, viewer might like to look back on what's just happened or rewind to a highlight or work out, you know, who it was that scored the goal if it's super pixelated on them, you know? We've mentioned it a few times, like a few minor issues here or mm. there that we pick up. They've had a, a while to get it right too. So, um, yeah, who knows how that's going to play out. I mean, they're here for a while. We've got to get used to it. We need to just – who's the right person to talk to? Mm. Say? We need to improve it because if you make the fan experience better, you're going to either – we're not, I'm not so much winning over new fans to this. This is getting back the old ones. You know what I mean? Like mm. some of these, some of our our football fans are just waiting for any excuse to to get a little bit angry about it, and they're not making it easy sometimes. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, I do think we have a predisposition to, to blow some of these issues out of proportion, but it seems like the the cumulative effect uh, is hard to stomach when you've also got a season that's already hamstrung by crowds who are reticent to come back whether that's COVID or or not you know is a matter of opinion or uh conjecture uh when you've got games being played midweek which the Australian sporting public and particularly football fans have shown that they have very little appetite for to to, to turn up for in big numbers when you've got all of these fixtures changing at a moment's notice and this backlog of games that they're trying to play and it makes it difficult to be invested in the league and have storylines going when the schedule is so inconsistent. And I think we're, it's going to take a while until this backlog is complete before the league starts to get close to shining again. Kickoff times as well. So yep. that's the, that's the other thing that, that came up today. So like for me, it's okay. I'm I'm going to go to the game after this. Is that a decent time? Is one straight after a knockoff work tomorrow in Melbourne, which I'll probably go to, but. When they launched the Feb Football Frenzy, $20 mm-hmm. tickets, they're going to be a game pretty much in the, the men's or the women's every day except for Mondays pretty much most of the way through. But they needed to change that somewhat. I mean, 38 spectators at the Wellington game. Why couldn't you just have, right, junior clubs are training. Here's a junior club. Here's 50 tickets for your club mm-hmm. to come to the game and you're actually increasing the crowd. And you might get some lifelong fans from that as well. There needed, there needed to be other things to – 20 bucks is not going to cut it. 20 bucks and kids free. They needed to do something else. Kickoff times, family friendly, something yeah. else. Um, but, yeah. We'll see. There's 10 games. End of Feb. There's 10 more games that from tonight until Sunday night, including three on a Wednesday night. So, um, yes, the Feb frenzy will finish. Then we'll go back to some sense of normality with the men's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, hopefully then also the ladder will start to sort itself out too because there's still some big gaps between – the top teams and the bottom teams in, in terms of games played. Well, speaking of a game tonight, Melbourne City taking on the Central Coast Mariners at 5-8. to eight. And through a little bit of uh, a little bit of movie magic, we're going to catch up with Mr. Dan Hall, a youngster who's impressed in the centre of defence for the Mariners so far this season with his, his comfort on the ball and his willingness to take it out and take risks. He's a very promising player who has one national team searching for his allegiance, if they can sort out passport issues. Um, but one question we posed to him during the chat is, is a Socceroos call-up realistic at this juncture? And he 
he was quite almost taken aback by the the question, but he says things have moved so quickly for me in the last year or so. Anything's possible. Well, that's it. He said, if you'd have told me national team football for any national team two years ago, he, he would have just you know said you're crazy. So mm. yeah. So we're going to hear from Dan Hall on the other side of this break. Australia or Fiji? We've asked him the question. Let's hear from him here on the Oz Football Hour on FNR. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Welcome back to the Oz Football Hour here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Coming to you from the past today, it's a pre-record. That's why Jason's on Zoom. Josh here with usual co-host Jason Goldsmith. And we're delighted to be joined now by a youngster who's shown some serious promise breaking through into senior football this season for the Central Coast Mariners. Dan Hall, welcome to FNR. Thanks for having me, lads. Good to be here. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on board. First of all, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself because you're pretty new on the professional football scene, but you've been slaving away in the Mariners Academy for quite some time. Um, yeah, so I'm um, 22 now. Um, I've come through the MPL in Brisbane, um, moved over to the Central Coast Academy team, joined the youth setup in 2018, and I've kind of just been there since working my way through and um i guess last year was my first professional contract and now um i've i guess just more game time this year and um enjoying it and yeah loving every minute so far is it a hard position to break through in at center back when you know there's so much responsibility there you know one mistake changes the game is it is it a tough spot for you know a young player to to get picked and get the coach's trust um yeah for sure i mean i've I fell in love with it when I found out I don't have to run as much. So, um, <laughs> but I guess, yeah, I, I guess any position you have to be disciplined and um, playing senior football anywhere. Um, obviously, every position has their different challenges. But um, yeah, centre back for me, um, I guess, if you make mistakes at the back, you can get punished. So, um, I guess it's just extra incentive to be focused for the full ninety. You hinted there that, that maybe central defence uh, wasn't always your position, and I think we maybe can see that in, in how comfortable you are in possession. You used to be a midfielder, was it? Uh, yeah, correct. Funny enough, uh, like I had a video sent into the Mariners Academy to like get the trial, and like I was watching back that video, and it said like my preferred position. Like I think my first position was like a right-wing 10 position, and then um, I joined the Mariners Academy, and... Um, I guess gradually just started getting moved back with um, a couple injuries that set me back. And um, yeah, now I find myself playing centre-back, which I'm enjoying. It must be a, a good a good vibe there at the moment with a lot of the younger players. Like the Mariners, when they first came into the A-League, were known for developing a lot of young talent. And it seems to be that way this season. How is it uh, with all the young players, you know, Farrell, Rolls, Miller, yourself, how's it all going? Yeah, for sure. I mean... Um, as you said, that there's a big core of young players that are led by the more experienced players, and I think that works well. They complement each other. Um, I guess you see a lot the likes of Jacob Farrell, uh, first professional contract, first professional season he's playing, um, has that so much confidence, which I guess is instilled by not just the players but the coaching staff as well. So it's good. 
Tell us a little bit about your coach, Nick Montgomery. You know, he's he cuts an imposing figure, the the uh, Sheffield accent and uh, sort of stern demeanour, but he seems to have uh, built a good camaraderie in, in the dressing room. Yeah, I mean, Monty, as you said, um, pr- quite the prestigious background, um, playing for Sheffield and that. Um, and then I guess also almost like a Mariners icon, um, playing at the coast and knows what it means to represent the coast. So I guess he's um, really just passed down that belief and the pride you have to wear the jersey each week. And I guess that's um, what a lot of the players are buying into, which is good. Um, you had a good cup run, scored your first goal for the Mariners as well. <laughs> make the final. Talk us through um, the cup run there for, for the Mariners, so first ever final. Yeah, so... Um, I guess pre-season we set out that, you know, we want to do well in the cup and we want to progress and um, go as far as we can. And I think we proved that um, we could do that, making it all the way to the grand final. Um, obviously, it was a tough, uh, tough loss and a big game were against Melbourne victory where we lost in the grand final. But um, I guess, yeah, I guess for a lot of the younger players, it was their first chance of silverware and um, that first real um, atmosphere shock when you walk out at um, Amy Park where they're singing Stand By Me. So, um, but yeah, no, obviously I guess we all enjoyed it and um, I guess we're looking forward to the next one. How was it going back there after the final? I know, you know, a lot of the players have been really disappointed with with how the result turned out, but I, I thought you did yourselves proud in a, in a pretty uh, intimidating atmosphere. It must have been weird to go back so soon. Yeah, I mean, um, it was almost like you were just playing them a couple of weeks ago, which it really was. And um, I guess going back there, we ideally, um, I think things didn't go our way. We wanted obviously to get the three points or at least pull a draw out of the game. But um, I guess that's football and um, you move on from that pretty quickly with the short turnarounds. And it's been quite, we talked a little bit before the start, Dan, it's been quite tough uh, conceding. Uh, very last-minute goals in the last few games cost yourself uh, a, a couple of wins and, and then also a, a draw as well. How's, how's that been for the group? I know you've had to stay together in Melbourne ahead of a, a, a game. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, as a team, obviously it hurts, those ones where you you, you lose it or you drop points at the death. Um, obviously no team wants to go through that and for us to go through it three weeks on the trot, it's pretty um, pretty frustrating, but as I said, the Mariners, you know, we're, we, we stick together. So I know as a team, we're just going to bounce back from this and um, keep pushing on. And like, so as I said, the short turnarounds, you know, it, you're able to make amends pretty quickly, which is a good thing. Let's talk about your game. You're pretty confident playing the ball out from the back. You, you like to dribble a little bit in advance into midfield with the ball, which, you know, some players playing at centre-back uh, – either don't want to take that risk or don't trust themselves in that situation. Is that something that the the coaching staff has uh, really empowered you to do? Um, yeah, 100%. I mean, um, as I said, I was previously playing as like a more midfielder um, higher up on the pitch. So um, I've always had that um, being ability to just drive towards defenders and um, almost try and make things happen. But then moving back to centre back, and especially under Monty and Sergio, they've really encouraged me as they think it's um, a, uh, I'd say a strong point in my game being able to uh, field and attract attackers in. So they've obviously said that um, that's something that I can help bring to the team, and they 
um, don't want me to shy away from that. So that's why they encourage me to do it so often. We'll talk about your international, perhaps, aspirations, I guess, Dan. Um, you've got some Fijian heritage in this talk. They're looking to call you up for their national team for the World Cup qualifiers in the Oceania group that's uh, coming up in March. Uh, what's, the, what's the story there? Um, yeah, so um, the, the, official, the official team list for the Fiji, the 24-man, I think it was, for those qualifiers is announced, and I'm not, I'm not on that. Um, at the moment, I'm still... Um, Obviously, it's been a bit um, of a challenge to um, obtain a Fijian passport. Mm. But um, I guess if I manage to do that, um, there's every chance, I guess, Fiji could be a thing in the future, for sure. Are, are you a little conflicted at all with uh, which country you want to play for? You know, given that you are playing first-team football in the A-League, you know, soccer is cap isn't out of the realms of possibility. Uh, is, that, is that a hard one to, to toss up and make a decision on? Um. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as I said, like if you tell me if you told me that um, I would even be thinking about one day playing for the Socceroos, even six months ago, I would have probably laughed at you. So um, I guess it's crazy how football works and how quick things change. So I guess you just have to have an open mind and um, see where it takes you. So that's what I'm planning on doing. Has anyone has anyone from Football Australia spoken to you about with the, with a the talk about going to play for Fiji? Has anyone spoken to you from from Australian side of things? Um, no, no, I haven't had any one reach out from the Australia side of things. It's just been contact with like um, some people over in Fiji about you know, their, the Fijian management and that. So yeah, that's how far that's gone. You mentioned uh, you told me that it was um, the Fijian sides from your birth mother. Have you been back to Fiji at any stage with the underage teams and things like that? Um, yeah, actually, I've um, I went over. I think it was it was 2018 before I actually joined the Mariners. Um, I just come back, so I went over for and I think it was an under 20 under 20 Fijian camp, and I was there for about a week and a half. Um, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, met some of the players. Um, enjoyed my time over there. Um, and yeah, it was pretty eye-opening um, seeing a different style of football, and um, yeah, no, it was something I really did enjoy. We've had Fijian players make a big impact in the A League before. One notable one, of course, in in Roy Krishna. Uh, did you watch him at all growing up? Um, yeah, I, um, when when he was playing at Wellington, um, obviously knowing that he was Fijian, and um, I remember. Um, just watching, and I think I was, uh, he scored in the Olympic Games as well. I remember watching that. And um, yeah, no, he's a quality player. And um, obviously, I didn't get the chance to play against him or meet him personally. But um, yeah, he's definitely someone who um, a lot of the Fijians can look up to. There's, a, there's another player, a, a very recent teammate of yours that might be in a, in a similar situation who has an Australian mother in, um, in Jason Cummings. Now, mm. from the outside looking in, he looks like quite the character. How's he been in the, in the dressing room and with you young fellas in the, in the Mariners? Um, yeah, no. Um, but he's a legend to be straightforward with you. You know, top guy, um, down to earth, um, love, loves, loves the banter. And, um, but uh, on the pitch, you know, he works hard. He's a hardworking, good player, great finisher. So I think he complements the team well. In, um, he's well balanced, so, which is um, only going to benefit the team. You got any stories about him so far that are uh, fit for broadcast? <laughs> um, oh, look, honestly, um, 
Oh, what, what do we have for him? Oh, well, I don't know if you follow his socials, but um, he just got a, I don't know how old it is, but he, he drives around the combi van now on the coast. So um, when you see it, when you see a Scotsman driving a combi van around the central coast, it's a pretty funny sight. And um, if, you, if you give him a wave, you'll definitely wave back because he, he, he loves it in there. But um, yeah, no, he's, he's a funny bloke. And I guess, I guess you can pretty, you can see that pretty early on as soon as you talk to him. Well, talk to me about the the home advantage that Central Coast Mariners have. I mean, uh, it's a community focused club. You've had some pretty good atmospheres this season, and obviously, it's a beautiful stadium to play at. Uh, what's it like, you know, living on the coast and and being part of that setup when you're not on the road down in Melbourne like this? Yeah, um, I mean, I've been on the coast now for uh, it's coming up to four years, so um, and I honestly love it on the coast. Um, it's like a second home for me. And I guess um, one thing about the Mariners is, you know, it is a community club and the locals get around the club and support the club. And um, the club means a lot to the people of the Central Coast. So um, I guess the last year we brought back the crowds with the good results. And um, I guess we're just hoping to maintain those crowds and create that atmosphere to help us get three points each week. You, if my notes are correct, have captained the uh, Mariners youth side before, or the MPL side, I should say. Uh, is that an aspiration for the future to, to one day wear the armband? Um, see, I think... Not to put any pressure um, on you, yeah, of course. That is cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, no pressure, but um, I guess, as I said, football changes quickly, so it's hard to, hard to read the future. But um, I guess at the moment, I'm really just focused on... Um, playing each game, um, doing my best for the club. And I guess with consistent performances, um, who knows what can happen. So, yeah, I guess that one's um, that one's still there to be discussed later on, I guess. <laughs> well, your current skipper, Oli Bazanic, has done plenty in the game. He's got heaps of experience and uh, seems to be leading this young group with a blom. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about him and his influence? Yeah, so I remember um, Oli coming in from back during COVID with, from Scotland and um, I remember straight away meeting him you could just tell he was a real leader and um, you know just the true professional so I guess having that um, having someone like himself um, around the team leading the team each week um, you're obviously going to learn a lot from him um, so he's obviously there um, he's very good with his feedback on how he um, you know he'll let you know if you, you need to work on something and he's very straightforward about it which is only going to benefit the team so but yeah um ollie's definitely one of those players in the team that we have that um really guides the younger players and um pushes them to be better yeah um, obviously with world cup experience for ollie but he also had stints with uh, victory and also melbourne city any um suggestions of what you could do on your days off uh, here in melbourne you've had a, a sort of what, a five six day stay did he give you any suggestions um yeah, uh, he gave us suggestions, but I mean, with the short turnarounds, you know, we, we haven't been able to get to all those suggestions, but, um, you know, we've, we've done the shopping um, and, you know, we've just walked around and enjoyed the sights of Melbourne. So it's been good. Well, we love having you here. We love watching on the pitch. Uh, Dan Hall, thank you so much for making the time. Best of luck for your game. Well, tonight as this airs, and uh, we look forward yeah, to seeing you. more of you this A-League season. Yeah, appreciate it, boys. Thanks for having me on. We'll take a short break and come back with more on the other side on the Oz Football Hour on FNR. 
victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Unbelievable kick from Mavia. Great to catch up with Mariner centre back Dan Hall yesterday. Of course, can't really do the chat pre-game unless we uh, mic him up in the warm-up like Fox Sports used to. Uh, that's uh, not available to us non-rights holders. So uh, kind enough to join us for a pre-record. And it was really interesting to get insight into sort of international dilemma he might be facing. May have gone a bit early with that one, Jason, but I've I've got big stocks on the kid. I really think he's he's going to be something special. Well, that's it. I mean, if if he keeps going in the form that he's in, then we probably need someone from Football Australia to have a quick chat mm. with him and say, hey, just wait a few years and just uh, see what's happening. Similar discussions going on at the moment with a, a young Aussie boy playing his trade in Italy. You beat me to the segue, Jason. Fantastic. Well, you started it. So yeah, I did just, indeed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Christian Volpardo scoring his first goal for AS Roma, coming off the bench in the 62nd minute, 65th minute. Only took him mm-hmm. three minutes to score yep. his first goal against Hellas Verona, uh, which was an important one too. They ended up drawing that game. Um, but this is the first serious minutes and serious impact that Volpardo has made at Roma. And, you know, he speaks really highly of Jose Mourinho. It was uh, really cool seeing his post-match interview that he did in Italian with yes. the occasional English word thrown in there. Uh, but the thing is, is he ever going to play for the Socceroos? That's what everyone wants to know. Very good question. One thing I'd like to just quickly add, like the, he's, they're known, they're, he's known as the future. The Roma fans are already on on mm. him and, and buying. they're also buying stock in Volpato, very very much so. And, and the other thing... Um, with Volpato, also with Ben Garuccio too, which I really liked in their post-match um, interviews as good Italian-Australian boys. They both thanked their mums, <laughs> um, which I noted when um, they asked Ben Garuccio why uh, he put out, pulled out his shin pad and he said it was a special sort of mm. shout-out to my family, especially my mum. Nonna's boys. And, um, <laughs> and Volpato's mum's with him in, in Rome. So, yeah, so fantastic. The thing with the Australia versus Italy thing, if he's got – on one side, Jose Mourinho and uh, Totti. His agent is Francesco Totti, by the way. If so you to- Totti and Mourinho are talking to him and telling him what to do and advising him what's the best thing for his career. And then you've got Graham Arnold on, on text or phone or Skype or whatever. What, like, what's the best influence for him moving forward? We know the answer to that, I think. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean... Is it too early to try and call him up? Whether he would accept the call up or not is an entirely separate conversation, but we've got these two crunch games to try and snatch automatic qualification from the jaws of the playoffs. Is this too high a pressure for a teenager to come in who's only just started playing senior football? Is it worth it in the long term? It's a real headache. We've done it before, so we capped young teenagers early because they had an option. So I'm talking Daniel Lozani most recently mm-hmm. with the World Cup. But if you look back to Harry Kuehl and Lucas Neal, mm-hmm. both got caps probably ahead of the when they were actually due to do it. So it's not – it's a tough one. I, You know, is he going to progress at 18? Is he, is he peaking now, right? You know what I mean? You don't, you don't know with the progression of the player and you don't know what's best for him personally – or what's best for the Socceroos. I would love to see us at least bring him into the squad, not necessarily cap him, because 
He's 18 years old. Are we going to throw him in against Japan and Saudi Arabia with these sort of must-win games that we've got? And even then, that wouldn't tie him to the country. I mean, three now. Yeah. Rules keep changing, but you need three competitive games. Well, is go. it three or four? Is it... I think it, it is changing. I, I'll I second-guess yeah. myself. But, yeah, uh, yeah you, well, it, two won't do it. That's for sure. Well... We're on track for a third-place playoff, so there's there's your three. <laughs> so um, And then the Intercontinental playoff. You know what? It wouldn't, we'll hurt, it wouldn't hurt to put him in the squad. We, we've got some squad fillers um, and have had for a number of years. Uh, I'm talking, you know, you probably your last three or four picked are generally A-League players that we put into the squad that, mm. can, that can do a job or whatever, but they're rarely going to get called up. You know what I mean? So To actually um, play. Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. So give him a chance to go around the squad, see where he's at and, and, and take it from there. I would like it. But, you know, this is the start. Hopefully it's the start of something big. We need guys in the big leagues. Mm. And we've got another one going to Germany as well. So we, we want more Aussie footballers to do this. So, yeah. Well, the big game's in March. If he plays again for Roma between now and March, or a couple of times even, I would be tempted to, to pull the trigger on it. Yeah, I, I would. For As the, it stands, I think it's pretty small sample size. Even if it is a big club that everybody knows, and he scored a goal, the romance of it is fantastic because you know overlooked by two A League clubs in the junior academies, and he takes it on himself, and he moves to Italy, and he grows what five or six mm. inches in that time, and progresses. So you know, that's also a good story of mm-hmm. him turning his back on the <laughs> the country. To be honest, because you know a. Minnow like Australia in compared in comparison to Italy doesn't deem him worthwhile. Where he goes to Italy and he's playing under one of the most famous coaches in in world football at one of the most famous clubs too. So I don't think the Italian national team are in any hurry. So I don't know that no. we should be either. We do tend to get pretty excited pretty early. Remember, well, we're always looking for a saviour. Remember always when, looking... when, when Toure scored in the um, mm-hmm. FFA Cup final? He's like, oh no, he's he's not gonna he's not gonna play for us. Yeah, like, well, well, that was because the Liberia coach at the time was this English bloke who would talk to any journalist who called him up. Well, I think he might have been actively calling. Well, to- that's what I mean. Like, you know what I mean? We get, we get super excited. but We get a, a teenage prodigy. We think we've got the next cure of Viduka and, mm. you know, fingers crossed we have. But let's – yeah, I – the, the romantic in me wants to see him in the squad. I want to see him out here just being around the squad to see what it's like, you know. Give him a chance. Give him a taste. This is international football. This is what we do, you know. Mm-hmm. He'll travel – He'll be at home. He'll travel away. Chance to see his, his friends. Free flight back to Sydney to see his mates. Like, why wouldn't you? Come on. That's true. That <laughs> is actually true. I mean, what does it say, if anything, about A League and youth development that this kid got turned away? Is that just a convenient narrative to point to to say, look at our youth development failings? They didn't think he's good enough, and now he's playing for AS Roma. No, our youth development has been on the nose for a, a, a long time, and it's it's and talent to show. ID as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. talent identification. There's no. The A-League clubs don't have to put in their time and effort into the kids. What do they get out of it, right? So we were talking about um, mm. transfer fees and the rest of it. But at the moment, like, you need, you're playing to win, win the championship. You're not playing to develop a player and to sell them. And perhaps that needs to change. So we start playing the, the kids and getting them up there to move them in. Well, one club that's been successful in that regard recently is Connor Metcalf with Melbourne City. He's off to St. Pauli to uh, team up with Jackson Irvine. What do you make of that transfer? That's that's exactly what we want. That's that's the that's the model. We've got mm. a guy that's come from sort of the junior level, playing senior football at 18, 19, 20, plays a steady amount, just breaks into the Socceroos, plays for the Ollie Roos, and now he gets a chance to go 
and he goes. It's fantastic. Um, we did mention a little bit off air. The transfer details have been kept confidential. We've got probably on an ethical football ladder teams that are polar opposites. But um, moving into the Bundesliga with a chance to go into a Bundesliga two chance to go right up the top mm. two if they continue on the form they're in. So it's a great move. It's a great move for Australian football and for Connor. And he's got a natural a mate there to help him settle in and adjust to his first big overseas move. It's um that's that's part of the that. Uh, the narrative of turning the uh, the roller coaster Australian football week something quite positive on mm. the weekend was the Metcalf news followed by Volpato into Garuccio. So that was that was all the the good the good stuff, the heartwarming stuff. I, I actually have watched a little bit of Sampali play in terms of highlights and things because I wanted to know how they were using Jackson Irvine. Uh, Ante, you could try a really good piece mm-hmm. of sort of foreign scouting report he's yep. been doing on the Socceroos abroad. Um, but I also went and looked at some highlights and they have this diamond system that they play with fullbacks to play really high up the pitch and mm-hmm. they press and they sling the ball out wide to the to the overlapping fullbacks and they just get crosses into the box and. Irvine plays usually on the right of the diamond okay. and he just breaks into the box all the time. And if they give Metcalf the license to do the same, mm-hmm. I think he's got something there. I mean, he's on the he's, other side. Yeah, yeah. Left and right. He's mm-hmm. a lefty. Yep. Um, he's got a really good left foot. So that gives them a little bit of width in the diamond. And also you've got these two physical juggernauts of players who can basically make that late third man run. Yeah. And I think that's what they've signed him to do because that's what he's doing successfully for City is he's kind of the weak side attacker a lot of the time. Like they'll have the ball on the right and they'll be moving the full back inside and playing all their little triangles and stuff. And he's the one who tries to sneak around the back and be the guy who's available once they draw players into one flank and then switch it around to the other. Uh, And he's been very successful at doing that when the defense is sort of already uh, destabilized and, and warped. He can attack that space really effectively. So I, I honestly think it's a it's a good fit for him tactically. The way that Irvine has thrived in that mm-hmm. environment, and through that, almost convinced the Socceroos coach to push him a little bit higher up the park. Yeah, could be the same for for Metcalf. Yeah, and um, in terms of and goal scoring from the middle too, which he's he's quite good at, but not really getting the chance given the the formidable front three and off the bench that City have got at the moment. So from an Australian point of view, anyway. Another Australian who's made a move overseas, long awaited for Stefan Mork to try and sort out his visa situation and get the finer details done. But uh, he signed for a club in J2, mm-hmm. and he's going to be teammates with another Australian. The common theme there, uh, Mitchell Duke, is already playing up front. Uh, so it's a good move for him. Uh, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation. but I was going to let you do it. Okay. I was- <laughs> uh, Fagiano Okayama. We'll, we'll go with. Yeah, um, let us know in the comments if we've... Yeah, apologies if I've got that really, really wrong. Again, still, that's okay. So uh, Mitch Duke's over there. He's he's still in the soccer is contention playing J2. Um, so from an Australian point of view, the standard is going to be okay. Um, it's been coming for a long time. They've been, talk- what, six weeks or so? Uh, this is Stefan Mork's last game for mm-hmm. Adelaide before he goes. And he's played a few more. But, um, yeah, great move for him at that sort of stage of his career as well. So it's good to see another Aussie go OS. It's going to be tough for Adelaide now. They don't have any options in that position now that Halloran, who played there a bit in preseason, mm-hmm. is, is gone to Korea. Um, now that Mork is gone, it's a whole lot of sixes in that in that side. I don't know who fills the void of the player who has to play at the 10 for, for Carl Vart. I'm not sure either. Um, they're a bit unearthing a lot of kids there at Adelaide. They got flogged last time out too, so mm-hmm. MacArthur 
um, beat them 4-1. So, um, yeah, that's an interesting one. Well, I guess we'll sort that out in, a, in, the, in the coming weeks for Adelaide to see what they come up with. Again, they've produced a lot of South Aussie kids coming through the system, so hopefully they can unearth a few more gems that way. Yeah, 4-1 loss it was to MacArthur over the weekend. Well, we mentioned Al-Hassan Toure uh, started to burn mm-hmm. brightly for a short amount of time and uh, you know didn't score a senior goal for, for a long time. Uh, but he's finally netted his first goal for MacArthur in that 4-1 win. So good to see him playing and, and getting back on the score sheet. Uh, I'm less impressed that Mo Toure isn't seeing more first-team minutes for Adelaide. They've signed this big Japanese guy to play up front, this target man who's essentially just a physical presence. Mm-hmm. And they haven't had a lot of luck with their foreign strikers. Adelaide. I guess this guy, he scored a couple of goals, uh, Ibasuki. Yep. But... It, it doesn't really inspire me in the kind of football that they're tempted to play when he's up front. He's been better in cameo appearances off the bench. He has, yeah, because he scored those his first few mm. games. He scored those ones late, but then, you know, he's the big target man. He's a big man. Um, and but he, they end up playing a lot of long balls into him just because he's there, I think. It's like yeah. the temptation. It's like when England used to start Peter Crouch and then suddenly they start launching it. Yeah, and um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he missed that penalty too um, mm. as well. So yep. um, recently in the last few weeks as well, so... Yeah, I'm not sure if he's the if he's the answer. We'll wait and see. But Adelaide are, are fairly well placed. They've played more games than most. They're, they're third on the on the table at the moment, but they have played 14 the most of anyone's thus far. That'll sort itself out with our football frenzy with 10 games to go mm-hmm. in this in this month. I wonder see. whether Zach Clough can push further forward the new English guy they've signed. Maybe he's the one to fill Mork's uh, boots essentially. Um, you know, he's only played a few games so far, yeah. um, but he's they actually shifted the shape against MacArthur and they were sort of punished for it, to be mm. honest. I was I, heartened to see them go with more of a 4-3-3 shape and have Louis DiRigo as a sole holder at the base of midfield, but then they ended up getting stung. What you say makes sense. I mean, they've, they've known Mork's been going for a mm. while and he's the most recent addition, so you think you want to replace your captain with some kind of quality. So, yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with you on that one. Let's Let's see if that plays out. Yeah, we'll see if Adelaide United can pick themselves up off the canvas. But I suspect after that battering, uh, Carl Vart will go to the, back to the same old conservatism that has reigned in most of his managerial tenure, to be honest. Uh, you know, he's promoting South Australian youngsters and that, mm-hmm. that's driven by the club as well. Yep. That's clearly a strategy, so that's been a positive. But the way that Adelaide have approached these fixtures and the way they've played in it and looked after Halloran's departure has not inspired me one bit, to be honest. This is a good point. But they did they did poach that um, in the last week. They did poach that last minute win from uh, from Toure actually against City. That's true. Um, that was. But most most of their best results week, yeah. have been from forcing opponents into mistakes rather than anything they've created oh, yeah. themselves. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, you know you recall the it was even in this case at the start of the season with the City away game in mm. in uh, in Adelaide. It was a terrible back pass, and Ben Halloran, you know. Sorry, or it was actually from the keeper to the fullback, I should say. It was the reverse yeah. of what happened. And uh, Ben Halloran saw it coming a mile off and, and they picked him off in, in the quick transition. Uh, this team seems... No, they're not alone in the A-League in this front, but when there's a defence in front of them and they have yeah. to play out from the back, they, they, they don't have much of an idea of where they're going. Well, well MacArthur won 4-1. And we, we've discussed these, these questions about um, MacArthur's formation given the players that they've got. But if you're winning 4-1, there's not so many questions. So... Um, Apo Yanu got his first goal mm. in the A-League, so he kicked things off. Noon again scored. So, yeah, some doing, doing some good things. 
Yeah, interesting to see Apostolosianu back. Uh, and Craig Noon, I thought, was exceptional in this game. He played pretty much everywhere, mm. roaming, you know, played on, on both flanks. I think when they were playing with more of a wing-back system and he was on the right, I'm having to cut in all the time, it yep. got a bit predictable. So I think they're starting to get the best out of him, which is uh, good to see because you know their crowds have been so bad. Um, their f- football has been pretty dire to watch a lot of the time yep. with a few exceptions, like that crazy game against the Mariners. I think they do need to play a more attractive brand to incentivize people to come and watch them because what else have they got going for them? Yeah. Well, they're actually, they're fairly well placed on the table. We could be quite critical in terms of that, but they're, what are they, sitting fifth at the moment? They've got a few games in hand. Well, they had an amazing start to yeah. the season and then they dipped really sharply. So, you know, it felt like it was a disaster and now they've recovered. So It's a know. long, yeah, weeks a long time in football, but then, <laughs> um, yeah, the rest of the season to play out. It'll be interesting to see. Interesting to see. Well, we don't really have time to go through all of these games, game by game in the rest of the show. So I think we'll take a quick break. And on the other side, there's some big picture stuff to talk about, including uh, James Johnson coming out and slapping the APL for uh, holding up a domestic transfer system. And uh, the AAFC has made another statement on the national second division. So the big picture topics coming up after the break. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Yeah! Up like a salmon, a spawning salmon. And Diamante again! Oh, he's done it! Unbelievable kick. Welcome back to the Oz Football Hour for the final time this evening. We've got Radio Dub coming up straight after, so don't miss that. Uh, but a couple of big issues in Australian football that have gotten some airtime recently. First of all, the domestic transfer system. Joey Lynch writing for ESPN, having chatted to FFA, or Football Australia, I should say, CEO James Johnson. Hard to keep up with all the rebrands. A-League women, who's Football Australia. After, who's looking after what? Yeah, agree. <laughs> APL. Yeah. Uh, he was pretty frank, came out for the first time after telling the Sydney Morning Herald a month ago that they needed all the stakeholders on board mm-hmm. if they are going to go ahead with this. A little bit more bullish and, and frustrated and called out the higher leagues in our game, the APL and, and the A-leagues, for holding up the uh, implementation of this. Surely a necessary step if we're going to start building a pyramid here in Australia, Jason. Well... That's it. From the ground up, we just talked about youth development before mm. and we've seen what's happened previously for, we'll call them NPL clubs, old NSL clubs in terms of transfers and sales of players and, and development. The, you, the incentive is there to develop the youth and sell those players, sell the players and, and get that money back into the system and then to reinvest it back into your club and back into youth development and coaching and the rest of it. So it's a pretty basic fundamental of most football leagues around the world and it's something we need to bring in here and clearly they're getting a few uh a few clubs saying no thanks we don't we don't need it it's interesting because the pfa is a factor as well he's another stakeholder the players union uh they are arguing that a domestic transfer system is fundamentally incompatible with a salary cap Mm -hmm. because 
you know, you've got one that's restricting a player's movement and making it more expensive for another club to employ them and give them a pay rise. And then you've got another artificial pressure, which is the uh, the downward pressure on wages, of obviously, that a salary cap provides. Do they have a point there? Maybe. Do we need the salary cap still? Because, I mean, the salary mm. cap came into play when we when we started the A-League, right? When we started from scratch, we need to make things a little bit fair and equitable because everything's come, everyone's coming from the same base. Do we need the salary cap anymore, you know? So I think what the salary cap does, it actually it makes it worse for the professional footballers because they're only getting one- and two-year contracts. So you've seen players play for numerous clubs and, you, you know, they're playing for – someone playing five, six different clubs because – there's no stability for these guys. They're playing on one-year contracts. They can't get anything more because they're a salary cap, and they and, can't and the work reason out the they have season. Yeah. yeah, the reason they have these one-year, two-year contracts uh, is because the clubs need to retain flexibility because there are so many calculations that go into. Oh, is this player exempt because he's played for the club for a certain amount of years? Who's mm. the marquee? Have we got um, mature age rookie? There's all these little exemptions and. Yeah. Uh, and it's difficult to to keep your cap in check, especially if you're one of the top clubs who mm. is spending high on the on the high end of the salary cap, is actually maxing it out. Uh, and but, but it's an inefficiency as well for the clubs because they've all got one person at least employed to manage these implications. Whereas you know when you're building a team, of course you've got a playing budget, but you should be more concerned with how the pieces fit tactically and what kind of resale value the players are going to have. But they don't need that at the moment. That's mm. the problem, right? So it's a year-to-year proposition because you've got X amount of dollars to spend for this season. Um, you've got how many players contracted, maybe you know only a handful. You work through how we're going to work through the next season, who's coming out of, out of contracts at other clubs, what can we get them across the line for an extra five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. Like it wouldn't be massive, but it would be massive for the player. So mm. um, maybe the, to get the – Maybe the salary cap needs to go first and then the domestic transfer system can actually get its own legs and go through it. But um, I think maybe, and what we were talking about with James Johnson, that he's maybe the focus for the transfer will start with the national second division and the players coming from NPL into that and and f- the, from there. There was a suggestion uh, in the interview that he would, or Football Australia would, I should say, consider implementing it at a lower level or a different level and excluding some parts of the pyramid, um, such as it is, from the domestic transfer system. The reason it's important, though, is MPL clubs at the moment, and state league clubs even, have little incentive to develop their own players beyond, you know, wanting them to play for the first team. Yeah. Or just general community club ethos of we want to coach the kids properly. There is a uh, development fee, um, which is extracted if a player's played for the right club for a certain number of years and so forth. Um, it's pretty minimal. I think it's only something like 40 grand maximum, 50 grand. And to be honest, with the co- cost of the coaching licenses, mm-hmm. with all the costs that go in, into junior coaching, if you're going to take a player from low levels of juniors all the way through to the seniors, that's not much of an incentive to to hang on to these guys and if there's no revenue coming up and, and trickling down from above. Not at all. And we talk about the cost of junior sport and cost of kids playing. So a domestic transfer system makes you invest in your youth because you develop someone that's going to get on sold and you're going to make some money. I mean, it's 
you're developing players to play in the senior team. You're not. How many how many kids are going to make it from under eights all the way through? How many Mark Vadukas mm. are going to be? You know, it's, they play at one club before they get sold overseas. So, um, I guess, yeah, they need to. It's a very it's a tough one. We're trying to rebuild what we rebuilt. <laughs> so, um, to to get it right, I think you know the national second division have come out with some some statements today. As well, so I mean, we'll get to that. So the salary cap, and then there's you know, thirty clubs trying to push into sixteen for a national second division. So maybe there needs to be a, a third division. Well, the AAFC is um, the it's essentially a lobby group for the national second division, is what it is. There yep. are member clubs. Um, they're releasing their final point uh, uh, report into the, a genuine national second division of football in Australia next week. Uh, they are committed to working with Football Australia to introduce the domestic transfer system um, with the aim of benefiting all clubs in the connected pyramid and unlocking much-needed funding, which will flow down to the NSD and the MPL clubs. So this is a a pretty significant report that's going to come out next week. This isn't, of course, what Football Australia would necessarily go with. There's been all sorts of discussions as to whether it's going to be some sort of Champions League style or conference system and not a true home and away league. Mm-hmm. If I had to guess, I'd say AAFC would want the full home and away season, the okay. genuine article. Well, from some of the points they've raised here, there's 10 criteria for the, the teams to, to meet. They haven't outlined those 10 criteria other than uh, 200,000 participation fee from each club to start off with. Um, a minimum of 3,000 fans that can be accommodated at each stadium. Um, and to start off with 12 to 16 teams and getting up to 16 as soon as they possibly can, but also all of them to have a, women, a women's team as well, which is fantastic by 2026. Yes, my apologies. I was reading the wrong bit. It is out this week. It is out. We It was released on the eve of the show, literally tweeted out just as we were going to I got to the air. email through, actually, so that's why I was there jumping you go. in. So, so 5.36. Breaking news. Yeah. The report is, in fact, out, I should say. Uh, so look forward to get, getting stuck into that one uh, this week, into the teeth of it, and uh, talking about uh, it with you on the program next time. But that's all the time we've got tonight, Jason. Thank you so much for your company. Uh, enjoy the game tonight, which you'll be attending. And I look forward to chatting more about the National Second Division on the next program. Thanks, Josh. Victory looking to build. Barbaroussis is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbaroussis! Wow! Yeah! Up like a salmon, a spawning salmon. And Diamante again! Oh, he's done it! Unbelievable kick. Come on here.